Well, when we look in our Bibles, one passage of Scripture that I believe will tell, tell it clearly amongst many, and I want to share a little bit about the salvation or how to be saved in Jesus Christ. For those that are saved, I know you can rejoice. And for those that are not saved and are not sure, you can hear what God says from His Word as to what He has for us. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world, very specific, to save sinners. And amen, brother. And at the very end there, Paul also includes of himself saying, of whom I am chief. You see, Paul was a man that was also saved. Paul was a man that has tasted of the saving grace of God. Paul was a man that was saved and changed and knew that the answer was Christ Jesus for all men. This epistle, this letter to 1 Timothy, Paul was writing to a young man named Timothy who was in the ministry specifically in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was not an easy place to minister. Ephesus, if you went there, you would often uh, have to be ready to be abused, to be misunderstood. It was in Ephesus when they were dragged out of the home and a, and a huge uproar was taking place in the city uh, because these ones that were preaching Christ and people were getting saved and many people were losing business because of Jesus and because of this message. Paul says about these ones in Ephesus, they were like brute beasts. They were absolutely harsh. They were unreasonable. They were very strong-minded. And this was the area in which Timothy was ministering. In this epistle, Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. And he comes to this place in verse 15, where he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is a faithful saying. This is trustworthy. What I'm telling you is trustworthy. What I'm telling you is, is deserving to be received. It's worthy to be received. It's worthy to be accepted. The idea of all acceptation is to take fully. And what is encouraging Timothy is saying, what I'm telling you now, this is what I want you to receive. This is what I want you to apply your heart for. This is what I want you to accept and to teach and to preach. Because prior to this, in the verses before that, he is warning Timothy of people that are teaching different doctrines. And he's warning Timothy and encouraging Timothy that these ones that are sharing different doctrines, he instructs Timothy to command these people not to teach these doctrines. They were teaching different teachings that were not of the Word of God. They were teaching teachings that did not line up 
with the message of Christ Jesus. And on top of that, in, in chapter 1, in verse 4, he tells Timothy not to engage in pointless conversations about things that are a waste of time. Be careful not to be engaged in pointless conversations about things that are a waste of time. And those things are specified things like fables. What a fable is, is something that's fictitious. It's fiction. It's not true. And we see that around. People have stories. We have novels. You see it all throughout Hollywood, this entertainment things that are not true. But in this day and age, they are talking about things that are fables. They are speaking of something as if it was true when it's not true. And there's a new teaching and there's a new idea and there's a new concept and there's a new thing. And Paul is telling Timothy, avoid that. Don't give yourself to that. Not only fables and things that are not true. He says endless genealogies endless genealogies is this idea of trying to trace your heritage kind of thing trying to trace your lineage as if to find out the heritage as if the heritage had something to do with your standing with God when it doesn't and so Paul was encouraging Timothy don't be engaged in this don't give heed to this don't accept these kind of things and don't give yourself over to be talking about these endless things and that takes place in this life we see it in different places we see it with the catholic church where the catholic church is trying to show how this goes all the way back to peter who was the first pope when the bible speaks nothing like it as if to say the catholic church was the way with the Catholic Church is not the way and Peter was not the first Pope this is an endless genealogy it never ends we see it even amongst genuine brethren we see it even amongst Baptists where they have I forget the exact title of the book or the exact title of the concept and when they, in retaliation, try to say, yeah, you came from Peter, you say, but we came from John the Baptist. And look at the chain that connects back to John the Baptist. And this is why the Baptists are the way. My friends, Baptists are not the way. Jesus is the way. These concepts of endless genealogies do not give heed to, do not entertain, do not give yourself and apply your heart over these things. The Pharisees. In Jesus' time would do it. We are of Moses, as if to say we are something in the sight of God. Others were saying we are of Abraham, as if to say we are something in the sight of God. But this is not what makes you a child of God. Timothy, don't give heed to endless genealogies. Avoid pointless conversations. And he says, you know what these things do, Timothy? You know what all these new ideas do? You know what all these new concepts do? You know what this endless tracing back and trying to find heritage and connection and our modern day, it might sound something like this. My father's a priest or my dad's a preacher or, or my grandfather's a minister. And regardless what heritage or lineage you come from, it does nothing for your standing with God. But the point is this to Timothy is saying, don't get caught up in these new ideas. Don't give ear to stories 
and give yourself over to them. Don't entertain these new concepts. Timothy, don't get distracted. You know why? All these things minister is confusion. All these things minister is questions. And this is what the scripture talks about even in 1 Timothy. They just minister questions. The idea of questions is disputings. That's all it is. It's something to argue over. Timothy, these things do not minister godly edifying. These things minister questions. Don't give e to them. He says, in essence, because they minister questions, they do not minister godly edifying. What he's trying to help Timothy to understand is, is Timothy, don't be sidetracked from your ministry. Don't be sidetracked on what God has called you to do. Don't be sidetracked as to what you are appointed to do. You are not appointed to entertain new ideas. You are not appointed to accept and receive fables and endless genealogies. What you are appointed to do, Timothy, is to build up the body of Christ. What you're appointed to do, Timothy, is to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He even goes on to say that some have erred. They have de deviated so far that they are teaching things that cannot be confirmed by the scripture. They may tack on a scripture, but it's not confirmed by the scripture. And they were teaching things about the law, but they had no idea what the law was meant for and what it was actually saying. It says that they were teaching, but they didn't even know themselves fully what they were teaching. And he's saying, Timothy, don't give heed to this. We see it today. We still hear it today of people presenting the law as some sort of way to enter into eternal life. But if there had been a law given whereby we could be saved, if there was something given to us that could make us right in the standing of God, Galatians 2.21 tells us that in essence, there was no point of Christ Jesus if there was something that you and I could do to make ourselves right with God. The law was not to be used as some sort of means to get to heaven, the law was always there to show us our sin. And that would bring us to Christ Jesus, the Savior of sinners. So all these new concepts and all these new teachings and all these endless conversations that end up nowhere, Timothy, don't get caught up in it. And let me just say this quickly to Christians, don't get caught up in it. It is absolutely endless there. Get on YouTube. Get on Google. Go see Kurong. Look at all these books. It is absolutely endless. I don't know how many new concepts are out there. I don't know how many new ideas are out there. I don't know how many variations of this and this and this are out there. Brothers and sisters, do not get caught up in it. You will be diverted. You will be deviated. You will err from what God wants you to be focusing on. Do those things and give yourself holy. To that which is absolutely clear in the scriptures that God wants us to follow after. Don't be caught up with these other things. Don't be caught up with concepts. That's why he says this, Timothy. This is a faithful saying. This is trustworthy, Timothy. This is something you can accept. This is something you can be consumed in. This is something you can give yourself over to, Timothy. 
It's what Christ Jesus did. Lineage, heritage cannot save you. The law cannot save you. Life can only be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why he's saying, Timothy, this is something that I do want you to receive. I don't want you to receive that. I don't want you to give yourself over to that. Timothy, receive this. Receive what? That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. You know what he's saying to Timothy? Timothy, I want you to preach Christ. I want you to preach Christ. I want you to embrace this message and let this message consume you, Timothy. I want you to accept it. I want this to be the focus because you know what? This is what's going to minister godly edifying. This is what's going to help people, Timothy. This is what's going to benefit people, Timothy. It's Jesus and what he came to do. Timothy, preach Christ. Preach Christ. How many times do we hear concepts and not Christ? Paul is in essence encouraging Timothy to preach Christ. And you who have been called to preach, preach Christ. Guard these concepts. Guard your ideas and give the people Christ. Because that's what the people need. They need Christ Jesus. The one who came into the world to save sinners. When it's talking about Christ, Christ was the anointed one. This is what Christ means. It was a big thing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Christ. That he was, as the, they were looking from the Old Testament for this one they call the Messiah, the one to come. And Jesus was that one. And for those that would say Jesus was that Christ, well, many didn't believe that. And many, as a matter of fact, would cast those out that believed that Jesus was the Christ. But that was a notable mark. That was one evidence to show that, yes, there was something of conversion taking place in the heart of a person. Something revealed from heaven to be able to say, I know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one that people have been waiting for. Jesus was the one that was prophesied to be sent. We see Martha in John chapter 11 saying, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. In essence, Martha is acknowledging here and the scripture is teaching us the Old Testament was talking about one that was to come and she's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you are that one. You are that one that was set to come, and you're in this world now. The Ethiopian eunuch, when a man named Philip was ministering to him, a man from Ethiopia, and he was showing him from the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament, that Jesus was the suffering lamb that was to come. And when he wanted to get baptized, he said to him, well, if you believe with all your heart, you can get baptized. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It wasn't a little thing to acknowledge Jesus to be the Christ. He was the one prophesied to come, and He has come. You know, there's a lot of talk about, whom do you say Jesus is today? 
or Jesus was a good man, or Jesus was a good teacher, or Jesus came to show us love, and every, or Jesus was just a prophet, or Jesus was just this. And there are so many different concepts about who is Jesus, but the Bible tells us very clearly who Jesus is. And this is the Christ, that if you don't receive Him, well, my friend, you stand condemned still in your sin, for He is the one that the Scriptures prophesied to come. There is not another coming. There is not another coming. You know, the purpose of this book, the Bible tells us, everything written in this book, particularly the Gospel of John, but everything written in this book is to testify of Jesus. And everything we have here in this book tells us enough we need to know about Jesus and what we must do to be saved, to be saved from our sin. The Gospel of John tells us this, that these things are written. As a matter of fact, it says this in John chapter 20 and from verse 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Even Jesus himself declared to be the Christ. He spoke to a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well. You know what? These people of Samaria, these were the outcasts that the Jews used to go around Samaria and never through it. This is how much they despise the Samaritans. And here Jesus says, I must go to Samaria. And he did. And he speaks to a woman of Samaria. And in speaking to this woman of Samaria, amongst many things, this woman says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And you know what Jesus said to her? I that speak unto thee am he. Yeah. Jesus himself says, I am the one you have been waiting for. Jesus is come into this world to save sinners. Even that blessed name, Jesus. What is it about that name? What is it about the name of Jesus that bothers people? What is it about the name of Jesus when it's declared on the streets always provokes some sort of reaction? What is it about that name? Well, that's the name that God has given that all men must be saved by. And you know what that name is? That name is a savor of life unto life to some. That's a sweet name. But to others, it's nothing but a curse word. To others, it's a savor of death unto death. They don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. Who is this Jesus? But that's the name. You know, that name means Jehovah saves. God saves. Emmanuel, God with us. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And He tells us that He shall save His people from their sins. The Bible teaches us that as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I want to tell you a shocking truth that shocked me when I found it out. I was raised a Catholic. 
And my understanding, uh, whether I was taught this or not, I don't know. But my understanding as a Catholic is that every human being on earth is a child of God. And my reasoning for this is if God created everyone, then everyone is a child of God. But the Bible does not teach us that everyone is a child of God. The Bible teaches us only those that receive Jesus as their Savior, only those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, only those, the Bible tells us, He gives the power to become the sons of God. Only God has the authority to declare someone to be His son. And that authority is found only in Jesus. That privilege and blessing is found only in Jesus. Such love is found only in Jesus. And this is where John says it. Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the sons of God. Not everyone's a child of God, my friend. And so I want you to understand this. It's not until you come to Jesus to be saved from your sin, only then will you become a child of God. Being born into a Christian family does not make you a child of God. Only Jesus makes you a child of God. And it's not until you come to Jesus personally, individually, and call upon His name to save you from your sin, only then will you become His child. He is the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. To Him, the Bible says, give all the prophets witness that through His name, that name Jesus, Whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. There's only one way and it's through His name. Even Jesus Himself says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Please listen here. No man. No man. But I'm a Jew. Doesn't matter. But I'm a priest. It doesn't matter. But I'm a part of a Christian family. It doesn't matter. But I've kept the law. It doesn't matter. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's only through Jesus. And Jesus says, if you try and get there another way, you're like a thief trying to break into a place where you do not belong. You're like a thief. And he says there's only one, one way. He is the way. Jesus says, I am the door. If you come in through Him, you will be saved. It's only through Jesus. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's found in Christ alone. It's a marvelous thing to think how Jesus came into this world. Jesus is not like you and me. He is God, the Bible tells us, manifest or revealed in the flesh. He took the form of a servant and became a man. He possessed a body that was prepared for him, as it were. Why? That he would be made that sacrifice for sin for you and I. This is the Christ. This is the, this is the one that came all the way from heaven when he didn't have to, to suffer and die 
when he didn't have to and it wasn't for himself, it was for us. He came into this world. A lot of religious people don't like that. A lot of religious people don't like the fact that the Bible teaches Jesus is God in the flesh, in physical form. But he did. The Bible tells us that he was made flesh and he dwelt among us. The Bible tells us that he came into the world to become that sacrifice. The Bible tells us that he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Bible tells us that he was manifest or revealed in the flesh. The Bible tells us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And the Bible tells us verses we've heard many a times before that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that believeth on him, the Bible says, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Listen to why. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know who that is? Jesus. And this is why Paul is wanting Timothy to give people Jesus. Because this is what people need. They don't need a new financial plan. They don't need some better physical health, although that that may help. They need Jesus. They need the one that can save them from the disease that will take them straight past the physical grave and straight into hell. They need the great physician, Jesus. They need the gospel. They need Christ, the one that came into the world, specifically to save sinners. Let me ask you this. In the sight of God, do you really believe with all your heart you're a sinner? And I'm not saying this. You know how, okay, when you try and tell people and communicate this to people, you know what one of the most common answers is? Oh, who doesn't sin? And so that's a natural defense that the flesh has to get the attention of me. And so, yes, there's no doubt about it. The scripture teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No doubt about it. But my question to you, my friend, is do you believe you are a sinner? Do you believe you individually and personally, separate from anyone and apart from everything everyone else has done to you? I know I am a sinner in the sight of God of God and if you can acknowledge that that's a good start if you can acknowledge that that's a good step because it's not until you realize your sin your sin in the sight of God only then will you see your need to be saved from your sin the Bible tells us there is none righteous have you ever heard this before When you talk to people about God and you ask them about, you know, where do you think you stand with God? And they'll say something like this. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. But the Bible tells us very clearly that there is none good. 
Not one in this world that is good in the sight of God that is in and of ourself because of our sin. And so God's conclusion is that there is none good. God's conclusion is that all have sin. God's conclusion is no one can ever meet the standard of God. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, we are sinners by nature and stand condemned in the sight of God because of it. But you know what the good news is? The Bible tells us that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You say, that's a strong word, ungodly. You say, I go to church, I don't think I'm ungodly. Well, my friend, if you think you see, then you're, you're actually blind. It's not until you realize you're blind, then God can help you to see. And this is what the scripture is trying to teach you. If you are not saved here this morning, you are under the category of ungodly. Ungodly. Can a true Christian behave in an ungodly manner? Absolutely. And God forbid that it should be a lifestyle. There's a big question mark if it is on that person. But the characteristic of an ungodly person is a characteristic of someone who is not saved, someone who is unregenerated, someone who doesn't know Jesus as their saviour. And the Bible tells us in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what that means? I must see and understand that I am a sinner, me, and I am ungodly in the sight of God. You know what Jesus said? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. My friend, it begins with acknowledging your sin in the sight of God. Your sin in the sight of God in order to see your need to be saved from it. Why is it that very rarely would a rich man enter into heaven, but prostitutes and thieves and murderers and extortioners and drunkards often come and find the place of eternal life? You know why? Because those that think they have it together can't see that they do not. Those that think that they have need of nothing cannot see their need to be saved. And how sad it is when you're still in a place of sinfulness and still refuse to see your need to be saved. But the reality is those that are outright sinners, you know, those that are in prison and those that are outright rebels in your face and those that we would maybe call gangsters and so forth. You know what they are? They're just simply transparent people. They're the kind of people who is what you see is what you get. You know they're subtle. You know they're ungodly. You know they're wicked. Guess what? They know it too. And these are the kind of people that the religious society may point out and say, Ha! Look, I'm not like that. But guess what? They're the kind that often come to Jesus before the religious person. You know why? They can see their sin where the person that thinks they're religious and okay cannot see their sin. This is why Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You must see yourself to be a sinner 
in the sight of God. You know, a sinner is not like just another thing. A sinner is an absolute abomination in the sight of God. Sin is something that God despises. Sin is something that God hates. Please don't miss this. This is why there is a hell today because of sin. This is why not only there is a hell, but there is a hell that is for all eternity. This is the consequence for sin. I want you to think about that for a minute. It is forever and ever and ever and ever, and it's going to continue to be forever. This is how serious God takes sin. And we excuse it like a little mistake. You know how serious it is? It is so serious that it took God to come all the way from heaven to pay a price that you and I can never pay for our own sin. If we were given a million lifetimes and more, we could never, ever, ever do enough to take away our sin. And so it took the blood of God to wash away our sin. And please understand this. This is why you will stay condemned if you reject the Son of God. There is no other way. He is not just anybody. He is not like Confucius. He is not like Buddha. He is not like Muhammad. You know what Jesus did? died even for their sins. Jesus does not compare to any. Jesus is not just anyone. And this is why if you reject this spotless Lamb of God, this is why if you reject this Christ, this Jesus that came into the world, my friend, you're going to die in sin. You're going to die in your sin and end up in a devil's hell. Please don't be someone that will be so proud as to not acknowledge your sin. You know what Paul says to Timothy? Timothy, you know what I'm trying to say to you here? And you, this is what I want you to receive and this is what I want you to take and this is what I want you to preach. You know what, Timothy, you know the kind of people that Jesus came into the world to save, they're sinners. And Timothy... I don't want you to misunderstand me. And Paul adds, of whom I am chief. You know what Paul was saying? You know what Paul believed genuinely in the sight of God? He was not being proud by saying, mate, I'm the chief of sinners. He understood after being forgiven of his sins and he believed sincerely with all his heart. He was the number one sinner in this world. And was trying to help Timothy to understand that, Paul, God saved someone like me. I am the chief of sinners. And that's what the heart of a person who is saved from their sin has this in their heart. You don't understand, they try and say to people. You don't understand what I used to be. You don't understand what kind of person I was. No one could ever love me. No one would forgive me. But Jesus did. And that's why that woman, who Simon, the religious person, would say if Jesus knew who she was, 
this woman's a sinner. But she didn't care who was in the room. You know what she did? She just broke that alabaster box, this precious ointment, and poured it all over him. You know what happened? She saw that Simon, the religious Pharisee that knew God, did not so much as give him a water and towel for even to wash his own feet himself. So you know what she did? With tears, with her own tears, wet his feet, and with her own hair was wiping his feet clean. And the Bible tells us that this woman that the religious people says was a sinner, ceased not, did not stop to kiss, to kiss the feet of Jesus. You know why? You know what kind of heart she had? You don't understand. I am the chief of sinners. And Paul's saying, I'm the chief of sinners, Timothy. And that woman that the Bible calls a sinner <laughs> understood she was the chief of sinners. But guess what? They understood that when Jesus came into my life, that's what made all the difference. That's what made all the difference. And this is why Paul is saying to Timothy, give him Jesus. Give him Jesus. He's the only one that can help Timothy. He's the only one that can save the Bible tells us this, those that have been forgiven much, love much. And those that have been forgiven little, love little. I personally don't believe that Jesus was trying to put some sort of competition on sin here. I believe what Jesus was simply trying to help people to understand, especially Simon specifically. Simon, you don't really see what you've been forgiven from. And you don't really understand how much you've been forgiven. And for those that know that I have been forgiven, those that know that Christ has saved me, not just from sin, from all my sin. My friend, they're the ones that you often see love much. They're the ones that you often hear that cannot talk, stop talking about Jesus. They're the ones that cannot stop living for Jesus. They're the ones that are going to get accused for being too much and judgmental and condemning in talking about Jesus or talking, about a talking to a brother or sister in the Lord and challenging them in their walk with God. They are the ones that cannot do anything else but live for Jesus. Do you know why? They understand and believe with all sincerity in the sight of God. In the sight of God, I am the chief of sinners and he saved me. He saved me of whom I am chief. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be, brothers and sisters. That forgiveness that grips our hearts is the same love that drives us. This is why the Bible says also that while we, excuse me, but God commended, He demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners, ungodly. And this is why we stand here today only by the grace of God. And you know what the good news is? You can be saved if you're not saved. Maybe you believe Jesus is the Savior. You'll never deny it. But let me ask you this. Are you saved? Yes. 
Have you been saved from your sin? If you were to die today, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? You do not want to gamble your soul for anything, my friend. It is forever, whether it's heaven or hell. Whether it's heaven or hell. And the Bible teaches us that it's by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You heard it from all our brothers all from different kinds of backgrounds, all with uh, different, being at different stages in their life. And God met Shay, and God met Damon, and God met Stephen, and God met Mark, and God met us who are saved exactly where we were with the answer that we all needed, that yes, I'm a great sinner, but He is a great Saviour. And He can save you from your sin, just like He saved us that are saved here today. I mean this, please listen, my friends that are with us. I know I get misunderstood in speaking up so much for Jesus Christ, but you do not understand. He's forgiven me and He has saved me. And my life is not my own anymore. And I know what Paul is talking about where he says, Woe is me if I cease to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know what Paul is talking about when he says, If I'm going to seek to run this ministry just to please men, then I'm not going to cease to be the servant of Christ. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I know what Paul's talking about. Saying the life I live now, I'm not going to live it for me anymore. You know, that love that was shown in that cross is shed abroad in my heart. It's gripped me. It's arrested me. And this is why we speak up. This is why we can't stop talking about Him. This is why we are unashamed to testify of what Jesus done in our life. My friend, Jesus can save you this morning. But you must understand that you are a sinner condemned in your sin, that you are ungodly in the sight of God. But the good news is, is this, that Jesus died for the ungodly, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you can be saved from your sin this morning if only you would come to Jesus, the only mediator, the only person between God and man is Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins. And if you would come to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, I don't know much, but I know I'm a sinner. I don't know much, but I know I'm guilty and I've done many things that displease you. And I don't know much, but I know enough to know I've tried to maybe do better, but I know I'm still guilty. But Jesus, I hear this morning that there's nothing I can do to take away my sin. There's nothing I can do to get rid of this guilt. Jesus, I hear this morning that you paid for it all, that you died for my sins and that you want me to come to you now and trust you as my Savior. My friend, it's that simple. That if you believe with all your heart, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sin. Nothing more, 
nothing less. I don't trust my baptism. I don't trust my good works. I don't trust the priest. I don't trust my pastor. I'm trusting Jesus. I don't even trust my parents to say they think I am saved. I need Jesus. And when you come to Jesus and trust in Him, you will know and see and taste this salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord. The Bible tells us very clearly <clears throat> that Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially, especially of those that believe. It's not that Jesus is not the Savior of the world. He is. But is He your Savior? Can you with all sincerity, with 100% sincerity this morning before God, before God, not before me, and not before anyone else this morning, can you with 100% sincerity say, Jesus is my Savior. Let me tell you how He saved me. And my friends, if you cannot say that before God this morning, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus to be saved and don't complicate it anymore. You can be saved this morning and become a child of God. The Bible tells us now is the accepted time. Behold, now, now is the day of salvation. You know why? You don't know when you're going to die. You have no idea when your soul will be required of you. But you can be ready. When you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. When you hear the gospel, you can believe on Jesus to be saved. Amen? Amen. If I just add one more thing. Sincerity is not enough. You know what I mean by that? <clears throat> Maybe you've heard something like this before. I sincerely prayed the prayer, but the lifestyle shows nothing of a child of God. I sincerely believe with all my heart, but the lifestyle shows nothing of a child of God. My friend, sincerity is not enough. The woman in Samaria was sincere but was not saved. And Jesus told her who he was. The man from Ethiopia was reading from the book of Isaiah. He was sincere. He wanted to know, but he was not saved. And so God sent a messenger along to share the gospel. A man, Cornelius, who was a devout worshipper of God, was sincere but not saved. And so God told him to send for a man called Peter who was going to tell him words whereby he can be saved. You have even ungodly and unregenerate people today that are sincere about their religion but are not saved. My friends, sincerity is not enough. You must be saved. You must be saved. Let's pray. Let's pray.